Hi, this is Elliot Fisherman, and welcome to our latest podcast. And this one's going to be on managing the incidentalomas. The last two weeks, we spoke about cystic uh, pancreatic lesions, and now we're going to talk about splenic lesions. So, uh, Spleen is always a challenging uh, area. Here's an article we wrote a couple years back. Unexpected splenic lesions are commonly detected on CT exams of the abdomen and chest and often pose a diagnostic challenge to both the radiologist and clinician. This is very true because without looking even at the skin, I could tell you that most splenic lesions are benign and there's no need for any further evaluation. But in saying that, there is a long differential diagnosis and anywhere from the simple benign lesions to infarcts to abscess to tumors. But you know, the reality checked is that the majority of things are benign and can be ignored or followed conservatively. We rarely do splenic biopsies. Cases where there is pathology like lymphoma of the spleen, most of the time patients have symptoms, so it's not so much an incidental finding. Challenges to the spleen, quite frankly, are techniques. We talk about liver techniques and we talk about kidney and pancreas protocols, but the spleen, there's no great protocol, and even the same lesion behaves differently in different patients. And there really are no new CT techniques in the horizon. And I've done some 3D mapping, which is helpful occasionally. We've done some dual energy, but there's really nothing new in terms of a spleen. Now, I mentioned here about splenic biopsies, and let me just make one point. I read a recent article that makes the point that splenic biopsies are not that dangerous if done for the right indication and done carefully. Article by Singh, primary indication for splenic biopsy is an indeterminate solid or cystic lesion for which a combination of clinical, radiologic, and blood culture findings has failed to show a diagnosis. So again, limited evaluation scenarios. According to Lucy, the most common clinical scenario for which splenic biopsy is performed is a focal splenic lesion in a patient with a known extrasplenic neoplasm. Another common indication for splenic biopsy is the discovery of a splenic mass in a patient with known or suspected lymphoma. These days, with MR and PET scans, the number of biopsies is small, but if done correctly, sensitivity of a corneal biopsy in making the diagnosis is 88% or better in multiple series in the literature. So if you need to do it, it indeed can be helpful. So let's look a little bit more carefully at the spleen. There are many indications why we might specifically examine the spleen, but most cases, the reason we see the spleen is because it's there. It's part of essentially all chest or abdominal CT examinations. You may not see the entire spleen in a chest CT, but you see some of it, and you may not see the entire spleen in some abdominal CT, but it's there. On the other hand, we also will look at the spleen as part of a lymphoma workup, as a fever workup, someone with a left upper quadrant pain or a palpable mass. I mentioned a challenge of the spleen is that the protocols will indeed be variable and we may see the spleen on only one of these phases. Again, sometimes multiple phases will help, but not always. When I look at the spleen, if you ask me to tell you a little bit about what I'm thinking, let me tell you some of the factors I think about. Solitary versus multiple lesions. Simple lesions like cysts, hemangiomas can be single or multiple. Abscesses can be single or multiple. Metastases can be single or multiple. Lesion size is helpful. The biggest lesions can be cysts, but you know, you can see big lesions in the, their lymphoma or primary sarcoma of the spleen. How lesions enhance is variable, and some lesions like hemangiomas or hematomas can enhance, but so can metastases like from renal cell or an angiosarcoma. 
A very important thing is to look beyond the spleen because in lymphoma you often see nodes. Often with benign cystic lesions of the spleen, there's no other findings on the study. So additional uh, exam findings can only be helpful. And of course, clinical history is critical. You tell me the patient has lymphoma, high suspicion, it's gonna be lymphoma. Patient's immunosuppressed and there are new splenic lesions, I'm thinking abscess. Patients being scanned for pancreatitis as a cystic lesion, I'm thinking a pseudocyst or a simple cyst. So questions you really need to think about, at least go through in your mind, clinical history, including past medical history, old trauma, patient have sickle cell disease, are two examples, availability of prior CT studies to determine if the finding is new or long-term, potentially lab findings, and again, as I mentioned, other CT findings. If I ask you about the normal spleen, I think it's important to recognize what is a normal spleen because sometimes the spleen itself when normal or some variations of normal can cause problems, particularly for people who don't have a lot of experience. We talk about size, maximum dimension of 13 centimeters, volume beneath 150 grams, though your practice like ours, we do not sit around calculating volume. And I usually don't measure the spleen in most cases. Usually you kind of look at it and say it's big or it's not. Now, accessory spleens are common. They're usually under 3CM. They're near the hilum of the spleen most commonly. They enhance just like the spleen. So on early phase imaging, they have a moray pattern and they fill in or become more homogeneous on venous phase imaging. A very important way of distinguishing a mass like a tumor near the tail of pancreas or in tail of pancreas or splenic hilum from an accessory spleen is just looking at its enhancement pattern. Spleens can have clefts and they can have lobulations and the clefts can be confused with lacerations so you want to be very careful. In terms of density, depending what phase you look at, splenic enhancement will vary. Usually it's less dense than the liver, but in early phase imaging, it's more dense than the liver. It really enhances substantially, and there are two main blood flows to the spleen, through the white pulp and through the red pulp, and this is what really causes some of the variability in terms of enhancement. Good bolus injection, we talk about this serpentine cord-like enhancement. If you get late phase only, you're not going to see this. It can be exaggerated in certain patients, like patients with decreased cardiac output, patients with splenic vein occlusion or portal hypertension. The key thing is to recognize it and not make a mistake. I've seen many people, particularly new residents, in the ER read splenic laceration after splenic laceration. And when you check the scans in the morning, when there's a splenic laceration but no hemoperitoneum, you know you're looking at this moray pattern. And it does kind of look like clefts in the spleen. Oh, by the way, you notice the enhancement of that FNH in the liver. But notice its appearance very nice. But when you go 30 seconds later, it's homogeneous. You kind of recognize this moray pattern. You don't want to overcall it. Another example, very nicely shown. If in doubt, get a delayed scan. Lesions are not going to become isodense in most cases. And when there's so many clefts or linear lines or whatever you want to call them, it's normal enhancement. And here's another example with a very nice coronal view. Okay, very, very important. The spleen also varies in terms of arterial and venous anatomy. The average number of branches to the spleen originating 3 to 13 centimeters from the hilum is between 6 and 12. There's also a branching type consisting of a long splenic artery that divides near the hilum into three or four short terminal branches. And here's just one example. 
okay, of that ladder. Again, easy to recognize things to the splenic artery. We talk about pseudoaneurysms or aneurysms. We talk about the splenic vein, usually a nice straight line. We talk about splenic vein inclusion, particularly in things like pancreatic cancer. Nice confluence portal vein, splenic vein, SMV shown there or in these two images. We talk about splenic vein occlusion and collaterals. This was pancreatic cancer, large left gastric vein, gastric varices, often multiple collaterals will be present down into the mesentery. So again, we look at the artery and vein in the spleen. It's often a very important reminder of potential diseases nearby. Now, a topic I discussed, I think, in the splenic lecture was situs anomalies, with situs referring to the position of the heart and major abdominal organs relative to midline. At times, you can be confused. Patients with splenosis, more common in a patient with situs inversus, as in this case, can be confused with nodes or tumor, potentially, if you're not thinking about it. And there are a number of different common situses. But again, we'll save that for another day. But just remember, do not be confused by some of these variations. Do not overcall uh, pathology to being present. Now, in terms of accessory spleens, it's often a challenge. Most of the time, it's very simple. 16% of patients undergoing contrast-enhanced CT have an accessory spleen, usually is less than two centimeters in size. The key is it's an enhancement. It enhances very similar to the spleen proper, although based on location can simulate pathology. Article by Mortelli a number of years back, differentiation from a hypervascular pancreatic neoplasm is therefore sometimes challenging, and he made the point also that accessory spleens on CT are well-marginated, round, smaller than 2CM, and enhanced homogeneous on contrast-enhanced images. Again, very important, they're not always enhancing homogeneous, they're enhancing like the spleen, because if you're going early, it's not homogeneous. So examples, here's a patient with an accessory spleen way anterior. Sometimes it can be confused with nodes. Here's an accessory spleen near the splenic hilum. Look at its moray enhancement, very similar to the native spleen in this patient with a left nephrectomy. And you're not gonna confuse that with recurrence. Splenules can be multiple, as in this example, where there are multiple splenules present. Patients who've had trauma often get splenules, and they can be in the chest, in the pelvis, almost anywhere. And you can see very nicely the splenules in this case. Sometimes they're away from the spleen and can really potentially be confused. This can be confused as a mass in the mesentery, a mass off or near the pancreas. Here it is a coronal display. Again, think of its enhancement, but you gotta be thinking about it. Now I will say accessory spleens are more common in patients post-splenectomy, particularly when it was a traumatic uh, situation, but it's something you do need to think about. Another nice picture of that lesion, and again, not to confuse it with, with something else. Now challenges, I mentioned that sometimes accessory spleens are very much near the pancreatic tail, but sometimes they're in the pancreatic tail, and it can be very difficult. You look at this lesion, there's an enhancing lesion by the tail of the pancreas. This looks like a neuroendocrine tumor, but when you looked at it carefully, you looked at the enhancement, you looked at some of the reconstructions, this was actually an accessory spleen sitting on the tail of the pancreas. Again, you can make terrible mistakes one way or the other. If you're uncertain, a, a tagged red blood cell study can be very, very helpful, though not perfect. 
Now, patients who have splenosis there, it's all sorts of craziness. Here's implants on the stomach, non-contrast. These are multiple splenules causing uh, imprints on the stomach. So when you have splenosis, you, I mentioned you can have lung nodules, you can have pleural implants, you can have implants on the stomach, you can have masses in the pelvis. There's no uh, limit to the potential possibilities and the potential errors that you can make, as in this example. Splenosis, multiple splenules. You can see here, one to four centimeters typically. They can be implants on the colon. So again, you want to think about it because they really can simulate pathology. Like this case, look at this implant on the omentum. That was actually a splenule. And here it is on the coronal display, a bunch of lesions in the left upper quadrant, but there's that one that migrated centrally, but they all enhance exactly the same. So think about that possibility and don't make a mistake. Now, this pitfalls, as I mentioned, splenic tissue simulating an islet cell tumor near the spleen, that is an accessory spleen, splenic tissue in the pancreas simulating an islet cell tumor, and then post-left nephrectomy splenic rotation simulating a tumor recurrence. Now, in that latter case, usually it's not a problem once you give IV contrast, but sometimes it can be a problem. You look at this image, maybe there's a big recurrence in the renal bed. No, it's the spleen rotating. You can see the pancreatic tail dropping into the uh, nephrectomy bed. Very important not to make that mistake. I've seen the mistake made particularly on non-contrast CT. Remember my point being, accessory spleens enhance like normal splenic tissue on both arterial and venous phase imaging. It can be difficult sometimes if patients had a left nephrectomy, um, you know, but should be no problem making the diagnosis. Now, to me, the biggest challenge is a case like this. What is this lesion? Is this a neuroendocrine tumor? Does the patient need a distal pancreatectomy? Kind of tough there, but the more you look at it, it looks like the spleen in terms of enhancement, and you follow it, you can see it's pushing into the pancreas, not arising in the pancreas. This was a splenule. And we've had cases where we're not certain the patients will get a limited study in terms of uh, limited laparoscopic resection. Again, very difficult diagnosis. So those are some of the challenges in the spleen, but there are many challenges because now we need to look at the various lesions in the spleen. And what we'll do then is let's take a break here and then we'll pick it up on some of the benign splenic tumors and how we recognize them and some of the pitfalls and how we manage them as incidental illness. I'll be right back in a couple of minutes. See you then.